0: Amen. If you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, starting in verse 47. We are spending the past few months, we've spent the past year or so in the Gospel of Luke, but now we are in the final days of Jesus before his death and resurrection. It's been a joy to kind of walk step by step, story by story, through the most important week in the history of the world. And so today we've come to the gospel. We're looking at the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. So let's read God's word together and ask him to speak to us today. Luke 22, verse 47, this is the word of the Lord. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple, and elders who had come out against him? Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. Your word is light to us shining in the darkness. God Christ himself came to be light for us shining in the darkness. And so God would you speak to us even today from these seven verses as we see Jesus in the darkest moment of his life. There under the cover of darkness betrayed by a friend arrested by a mob seeking to be destroyed by the power of darkness. God, would you show us the light of our Savior shining bright. God, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid of the dark? You know, it's common for us to be afraid of the dark. It starts when we're little children. You know, the lights are off and everybody's asleep in the house and then You hear a creaking sound in your room, you see a shadow on the wall, the curtains start to move a little bit, you're just sure that there's got to be some monster under the bed or there's a robber in the closet, there's a ghost that's most certainly coming after you. So of course you yell for mom or dad or whoever to come and flip the lights on and the darkness in that moment is just too scary. It's just too scary. Now, of course, we grow up, don't we? And and we know better. We know there's no monsters under the bed. There's no robbers in the closet. There's no ghost that's going to come and get us. There's nothing to be afraid of. But we know better than that, too, don't we? We know that this world is filled with darkness that would seek to destroy us. The, The darkness of pain seeks to steal our hope or The darkness of sin would seek to enslave us. The darkness of anxiety seeks to cripple us. The darkness of sorrow seeks to rob us of joy. You know, it would seem that everywhere we look in this world, there is nothing but darkness. We see poverty. We see war. We see racism. We see earthquakes devastating. We see depression, addiction loneliness. The darkness is all around us. And if we're honest, the darkness is in us. But we're not without hope today. Today we've come to God's word and we find Jesus in one of the darkest hours of his life. He's about to be betrayed and arrested. He's about to hand himself over to the powers of darkness. And he knows that this time tomorrow He'll be dead. Yet Jesus stands here as a light shining in the darkness. A light that no darkness can overcome. Jesus is shining the light of his kindness into our darkened hearts. He's shining the light of his compassion into a world of violence and hate. And he's shining the light of his love as he lays down his life to save his people. So my goal for us today as we're in God's word is to see that the light of Christ will always shine brighter than the darkness. And when Jesus is ours, there's nothing, nothing to be afraid of. No matter how dark it gets, Jesus will always shine brighter. I want us to see first in our passage to see the light of his kindness. See the light of Jesus's kindness. So Jesus has just finished praying in the garden. It's past midnight, probably about one or two in the morning. And it's now Friday. He's in the middle of telling his disciples to pray that they not fall into temptation when a crowd approaches him. Some say this could have been at least 300 men coming after Jesus. Luke will tell us later these Roman soldiers were joined by the chief priests the officers of the temple, and and the elders of the Jews. And leading them at the front of this mob is Judas. If you can remember from a few weeks ago, Satan had entered Judas and influenced him to go to the leaders and offer to betray Jesus. They paid him 30 pieces of silver, and he agreed to find the best time to betray his teacher. But remember, Jesus knew about it. You see, earlier this night, Jesus was sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, and he told them this the hand of him who betrays me is with me at this table. And the disciples are shocked to hear this. They begin to question who, who is going to do it? Who will betray Jesus? And Jesus leans over to Judas and says, What you're going to do, do quickly. So Jesus, Judas from, rises from the meal. And he went out to keep his end of the bargain. He went and gathered these soldiers and these leaders, and he told them he knew exactly where Jesus would be. Jesus would often pray with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Judas knew he would be there. So now in the darkness of night, there in the shadow of the trees, it would have been hard for this crowd to figure out which one of them was Jesus. And so Judas said, I'm going to give you a sign. I'll kiss him on the cheek. That'll be the man that you need to arrest. And so as they approach, Judas comes close to Jesus. He probably grabs him by the shoulder to lean in and kisses him on the cheek. Judas would have smelled in Jesus' hair the oil that Mary poured on him. That same oil oil that judas thought was such a waste and you see there under the cover of darkness with darkness in his heart judas kisses his rabbi on the cheek there's perhaps nothing so tender and warm as a kiss and yet judas is handing jesus over to be arrested and to be killed and he does it with a kiss I mean, has there ever been a greater act of treason or betrayal than this kiss? But notice how Jesus responds. He says, Judas, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You know, Matthew tells us that in that moment, Jesus calls him friend, friend, In his darkest moment, Jesus reminds us that he is a friend of sinners. Even this wretched sinner. Jesus doesn't respond to Judas with anger. There's no rage in his words or in his hearts. There's just kindness. Jesus knew what Judas would do, but he still loved him. Think about that. I mean, earlier this night, Jesus bends down and washes his washes Judas's feet. He shares a meal with Judas. Judas is probably sitting at his left hand at the table. Jesus never stopped loving Judas. He never stopped showing him kindness. His kindness towards sinners will not face even in the face of betrayal. His kindness will always shine brighter and that's good news for us today because judas is not the only one who has betrayed jesus you see this scene is shocking but it should not surprise us you see the truth is in our sin we have all betrayed jesus if you're sitting there thinking man there's no way i would have done that then you don't understand the depths of your sin We betray Jesus every time we allow bitterness to grow in our hearts. We betray Jesus every time we're filled with lust and we act on those passions. We betray Jesus every time we refuse to forgive someone who has wronged us. We betray Jesus when we wrong others with our words and our actions. You see, if our only hope is in our ability, our ability to stay faithful to Jesus, then we are hopeless. But if our hope is in the kindness of Jesus towards sinners, then that hope will never fail. Our only hope for the darkness within us is that the light of Christ would, would shine towards us. And Jesus would give us his greatest display of kindness as he dies on the cross In our place. You see, Jesus felt the the kiss of betrayal and the kiss of death. And he did it so that we would know nothing but his kindness. Even in the darkness, his kindness shines brighter. Now I think there's a warning in the story of Jesus, Judas, and a comfort here. Judas's story is a warning to us against false devotion. I mean, just think about Judas for a second. He was one of the 12 men that Jesus handpicked to be his disciples. He spent three years with Jesus, listening to sermons, seeing the miracles, enjoying the dinner parties, hearing the gospel again and again. Judas was one of the 72 men who was sent out by Jesus to preach the gospel to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And think about this. When Jesus said, one of you all at, that, at the meal will betray me, none of them knew it was Judas. It's not like they're like, that. Judas, he's the one that's going to do it. None of them knew. By outward appearances, Judas looked just as devoted to Jesus as the, ele- the other 11 men. That night, there were only two people Who knew that Judas was a fraud? He knew it, and Jesus knew it. Listen, this means that it is possible to look completely devoted to Jesus and to have no real devotion to him at all. It is possible to look like a faithful Christian and be a fake. So we can look like a good Christian. We can sing the songs with our hands in the air. We can tithe every week in the offering plate. You can pray before every meal. You can serve in the church nursery. You can listen to Christian radio all day. You can go on mission trips. You can look like you have all the devotion in the world to Jesus and be a fake. And friends, there is nothing But judgment and destruction coming for those who have false devotion. I wonder if that's you today. Maybe there's only two people in this room that know that your devotion is not real. You know, and Jesus knows. Maybe you've got your family fooled, maybe you've got your coworkers fooled, maybe this church is fooled. Maybe in some sense, you're even fooling yourself. But Jesus will not be fooled. He knows if your devotion is real or if it's fake. And so, if that's you today, and it's just hopeless to keep hiding because Jesus sees and He knows. And so, the only hope that you have is to throw yourself at the kindness of Jesus a kindness that's meant to lead you to repentance. You see, his kindness can shine through the darkness of your false devotion, but only if you would repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. And so be warned today in the story of Judas. Run to Jesus and hope alone in the kindness that he has toward sinners. Sinners like you and and like me. So that's the warning for us today, but there's a comfort here too, I believe. Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt in that moment? I mean, he knew Judas was going to betray him, right? I mean, he said so earlier. But when his friend leans in to give him a kiss, it must have devastated him. It must have flooded him with such sadness. And friends, let that be a comfort to us today that Jesus knows our deepest sadness. He knows our deepest sorrows. He can feel our deepest wounds. He can taste our deepest pain. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows what it is to be despised. He knows what it is to be betrayed by a friend. So, brothers and sisters, be comforted that Jesus knows Whatever pain or sorrow you face, Jesus knows. He knows. Find comfort today in a friend who is able to weep with you when you weep. Find hope today in a priest who is able to sympathize with your weakness. Find peace today in a Savior who is able to keep you and guard you. Find rest Today, in a shepherd who is able to lead you beside still waters. The darkness we face certainly may feel too strong. Even the darkness that's in us may seem too deep. But brothers and sisters, the light of Jesus will always shine brighter. So let's run to the light of his kindness. See the light of his kindness. Second thing I want us to see is to see the light of his compassion, his compassion. So Judas has just given the sign and and the soldiers start to close in. Luke tells us in verse 49 that one of the disciples looks at Jesus and says, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Is this the time to fight? Now, this might seem like an odd request, but Jesus has actually just talked with them earlier about swords. Back in verse 36, Lance read it last week, Judas told the disciples that they would need to sell their cloaks and buy swords. Now, Luke is the only gospel that mentions this statement by Jesus. And honestly, I think it's one of the hardest things to understand in the gospels, what exactly Jesus is meaning here. He's probably using it as a metaphor for some sort of spiritual readiness that we need to have. He could also be wanting the disciples to have swords so they can look like criminals when they come to arrest him but whatever the case is the disciples pulls out one of these swords and they say hey look we got two swords jesus but jesus shuts down the conversation and says it is enough so it would make sense then, then just a few hours later one of the disciples thinks hey he was talking about swords i guess he wants us to use those swords And in fact, one of them does. In verse 40 here in Luke 22, we see this disciple pull out the sword, and he strikes the servant of the high priest, and he cuts off his right ear. John tells us it was Peter. It was always Peter, wasn't it? The servant's name was Malchus. You see, as as strange as it sounds, many of the Jews believed that God's kingdom would come through violence. It would come through the use of the sword. Many, many leaders in God's people in, in history past had used violence to stop rebellions, to enforce justice, to defeat God's enemies. There were judges, there were kings, there were even prophets who had all used the sword to accomplish God's purposes. And so it would make sense that the Jews were waiting for a warrior king to deliver them from oppression. They were waiting for a new David who would would crush the head of Goliath, who would use the sword to get rid of Rome once and for all. So it makes sense then that Peter thinks, well, all right, here's the moment. This is the moment we've been waiting for. It's time to strike with the sword. But look at Jesus' reaction in verse 51. He says, No more of this. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus told Peter to put the sword away. There won't be any fighting this night. You see, Jesus in this moment clearly shows us that he's not come as a warrior king to use the sword. Instead, he has come as a shepherd king who will lay down his life instead. Jesus is ready to drink the cup of wrath that the Father has prepared for him, and he will not fight against it. But then Jesus does something surprising in that moment. Here in the darkness of this scene, the compassion of Jesus shines forth. You see, right there in the middle of this angry mob who's trying to arrest Jesus, Jesus kneels down to a man who's just had his ear cut off. He kneels down to a bloodied man and he touches him. We've seen Jesus touch like this before. He touches lepers and they're clean. He touches the sick and they're healed. He touches the blind and they can see. He touches the deaf and they can hear. He even touches the dead and they live again. But this moment was different. I mean, this man's wound would have been pouring with blood. But even still, Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man's wounded head. Blood and all. And Jesus heals him. Why would Jesus stop to heal this man? Luke is the only gospel that mentions that Jesus healed him. And that makes sense because Luke has been drawing our attention over and over to the compassion of Jesus. Jesus heals a man seeking to kill him as a pure act of compassion and mercy. He doesn't look at Malchus and say, that's what you get for coming out here as a mob against me. He doesn't look at him and say, that's not my problem. Jesus is facing his darkest hour, and he still makes time for one last act of mercy, one last touch of compassion. In a moment of hatred and malice, the light of Jesus' compassion shines brighter. Friends, there is no darkness that can keep Jesus' compassion from us. Just think about this. There is not one story in all four Gospels where someone comes to Jesus desperate for help and he does not have compassion on them. Never once does he turn someone away who comes to him desperate for mercy. Never once does he say, hey, that's not my problem. In fact, Jesus' compassion is what led him to come to earth in the first place, wasn't it? It was his compassion that led him to come to a world full of darkness. His compassion that led him to a garden where he would offer up his life for us. And it was his compassion that led him to the cross where he would suffer and die to save us from the darkness. Church, there is no darkness in this world that can keep his compassion from us. There's no darkness in us either that can keep his compassion from us. The darkness of anxiety cannot keep it from us. The darkness of doubt can't keep it from us. The darkness of depression can't keep his compassion from us. Not even the darkness of shame can keep his compassion from us. Jesus died and rose again so that he would cover us with his compassion forever. So Friends, seek the Lord in your time of need. Call out to him in desperation. He will have compassion on you, no matter what darkness you face. So brothers and sisters, the light of Jesus will always shine brighter. So let's run to the light of his compassion. See the light of his compassion. Then lastly, number three, see the light of his love. See the light of his love. So after Jesus heals this wounded man, he turns to the crowd. And in verse 52, he says, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? See, that word robber means violent criminal. It's the type of criminal that mugged that man on the road to Jericho in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Barabbas, who was released in Jesus' place, was this kind of violent criminal. Jesus was crucified between two of these kinds of criminals. And so Jesus is looking at this mob with their swords and with their clubs, and he's saying, really? Really? You're going to come after me like I'm some sort of wild beast in the woods that needs capturing? You're going to come at me like I'm armed and dangerous, a robber, a violent criminal. And then look what he says in verse 53. He says, When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Jesus is drawing their attention to the evil of this moment. He has been in broad daylight for four days teaching in the temple. And he's saying, Why didn't you arrest me then? Why get a crowd of 300 men with swords and clubs? And remember, it's like two in the morning. Like they've rounded up these people at two in the morning and they've headed out to the garden as a mob to capture a man as he's kneeling and praying in a garden. See, this was just the best they could do. And in fact, this was not the first time people have tried to kill Jesus. King Herod tried to kill him when he was a baby. After his very first sermon in Luke 4, the people get so mad that they drag him to a cliff and try to throw him over. The Jewish leaders tried to stone him to death twice. And they tried to arrest him four different times without success. But there's something different about this time. Over and over in the Gospels, we see that no one could lay hands on Jesus because his hour had not yet come. But now, under the cover of darkness, his hour had finally come. Notice the last thing Jesus says in our passage. He says, "You did not lay hands on me, but but this is your hour, and the power of darkness." You see, the time had finally come for Jesus to lay down his life. All of history had been leading up to this moment. This moment had been planned before the foundation of the world. And it was the moment that Jesus would willingly surrender his life. The moment that Jesus would allow them to lay hands on him. The moment Jesus would allow them to torture him. The moment Jesus would allow them to nail him to a cross. The moment when Jesus would allow them to kill him. This is the moment when Jesus is laying down his life. And like a sheep led silently to the slaughter, Jesus willingly surrenders his life unto death. And for the first time in Jesus' life, the darkness won. You see, Jesus surrenders his life to this mob, but he sees behind them another power at work. Jesus says this hour belongs to the power of darkness. Behind the betrayal of Jesus, Judas, the, the power of darkness is at work. Behind this angry mob seeking to kill Jesus, the power of darkness is at work. And Paul would remind us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is with spiritual rulers and cosmic powers over this present darkness. That's what Jesus is talking about. There are heavenly rulers working and scheming here to destroy the Son of God. Satan and his demons are doing everything they can in this moment to destroy Jesus. To kill the Son of God would be the greatest evil that they could unleash upon this world. It would be the greatest victory that the powers of darkness could ever know. And here in this moment, Jesus lets them win. He lets them win. But what the darkness did not know that day is that their greatest evil would lead to their greatest defeat. And it would lead to our greatest good. You see, in the darkest moment that the world has ever known, the light of Jesus shines brighter Because it's here when Jesus surrenders that he proves the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his love. Jesus allows the darkness to destroy him in the ultimate act of self-sacrificing love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. The love of Jesus would never shine brighter than that day when he hung on Cross. You see, by laying down his life, Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's freed us from darkness of disobedience and the darkness of condemnation. He disarmed the rulers of darkness in the heavenly realm and triumphed over them. He defeated the darkness of sin and of Satan, and he has destroyed the darkness even of death. You see, the darkness may have killed him, but he did not stay dead. He rose in victory on the third day, and now he lives forever to shower us with his unfailing, steadfast love. And friends, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. There is no darkness left that can separate us from the love of Jesus. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 8:38 and 39. "I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Can separate us from his love. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Don't we see the beauty of his love shining in the darkness? Brothers and sisters, let's look to the light of Jesus' love for you. Let's let his love give you assurance in the darkness of doubt. If he loved you enough to lay down his life for you when you were still in your sin then he will still love you. He loved you then. He loves you now. He will love you forever. Let the light of his love give you strength in the darkness of suffering. Jesus willingly entered into suffering because he loves us. And because he suffered, he is faithful and a merciful high priest. And he always lives to give us grace in our time of need. Let his love give you hope, even in the darkness of your own sin. And you know, if we were honest, perhaps the greatest darkness we face is the sin in our own hearts. The envy that we feel when other people are blessed. The pride that thinks, makes us think that we are always right and never wrong. The anger that leads us to lash out at our Family, maybe the greatest darkness that we face is the sin in our own hearts. It's tempting to believe that we'll never be free. Brothers and sisters, the love of Jesus has set us free from even the darkness of sin in our hearts. He took the punishment we deserve. He condemned sin in his flesh on the tree. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. And he did it because he loves us. Jesus allowed the darkness to destroy him so that we might be set free from sin. And so that we might forever live in the light of his unfailing, steadfast love. Brothers and sisters, the light of Jesus will always shine brighter. So let's run to the light of His never-ending love. Because here's the truth, as we've seen, there's darkness all around us. There's darkness in the heavenly places at work. There is darkness in the furthest reaches of the earth at work. And there's darkness in the deepest part of our own hearts. But we have a Savior, don't we, who shines Brighter than the darkness. His kindness will always shine brighter than our rebellion and our sin. His compassion will always shine brighter than the evil and the hate in this world. And His love will always shine brightest of all. Jesus loved us and gave Himself up for us. You see, Jesus is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. He is our light and our salvation. Of what shall we be afraid? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Because it reminds us that there is so much darkness in this world. God, and more than that, there is so much darkness even in us. Lord, how many times have we betrayed you? How many times have we sought to love you but have been filled with false devotion to you. How many times has the darkness in our own hearts caused us to rebel against you, Lord? But Lord, you willingly came to this moment to be betrayed by a friend. and we see your kindness there, Lord. Got to pray for anyone who's not truly, devoted to you, not truly a follower of Jesus, God, may in this moment see that your kindness is meant to lead them to repentance. To draw them to faith in the Son of God is the only hope for salvation. So God, if there's anyone here today who's never been saved, who doesn't know Christ in that way, Lord, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. That you would bring repentance from sin and faith in the Son of God so that they might be saved. God, would you do that today? even among us. God, for those who are in need of comfort, those who need peace, those who need hope, those who need rest, God, would you show them that Jesus knows our deepest pains and sorrows. Man of sorrows, he was called. He knows And so would you allow him to minister to those who are brokenhearted today in need of rest? Lord, we thank you so much for your compassion. We thank you that in your darkest moment you still sought to help and heal a wounded man. And Lord, we thank you that you would never say to us, that's not my problem. You would never say to us, what has that got to do with me? Your compassion shines brighter than our sin and our doubts and our rebellion. So Lord, help us to lean into that compassion and to rest there, Lord. And Father, we thank you for the love of Jesus who in this moment decided to lay down his life as the ultimate act of self-sacrificing love. God, may we find hope in His love. May we find assurance and confidence in His love. May we find comfort in His love. May we find peace and forgiveness and cleansing in His love. But we're thankful that even in the darkest of this night, Jesus' love shines brighter and there is nothing that can separate us from His love. So God, would you minister to us and bless us as we set our hearts on our Savior, who is our light and our salvation, whose kindness and compassion and love will never fail. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.